One, all those K, uh, K, uh, yeah, kindergarten through third grade are dismissed for junior church. I get it out. <clears throat> my part in the, um, in the campaign here comes, uh, according to my daughter Amy, who put the decorations up for the campaign, she said this was inspired by what we used to do when my kids were younger. We used to go backpacking. The only problem is she absolutely did not get the Malfair family represented there, that's for sure. Maybe, maybe the Coopers, but not us. Uh, just something, something wasn't right there. I don't know. Anyway. Last week uh, was Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, if you weren't here, and we talked about the whole subject that God says life begins at conception and continues through natural death. That's God's choice. I believe that if we are going to see life as valuable, we need to speak up, not only in church and not only among Christians, but in the world. We need to vote that way, we need to act that way, we need to speak up and stand out and let that be known that life is indeed valuable. I also mentioned that there were a couple other things that I believe we need to have an impact on our society. The second was the whole thing about creation and the flood. And last Sunday night, we looked at uh, slides and a presentation about the Grand King and how it formed and things like that. I'm dealing with the flood and creation. And this morning, I decided to bring that third leg um, to bear this morning in our sermon. Uh, this third leg is marriage and family. It is the fabric, the basis, the strength of any society, of any organization, including churches. Without families, uh, we are in trouble. One of those things that's being attacked today is indeed the family. There's no doubt about it. And what, that's being attacked many, many different ways. I'm only concentrating on one way this morning. So don't think anything else is off the table. There are a lot of other ones. I would like to tell you that the sermon title, and such were some of you, is not from Romans chapter 1. It is from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. We will get to that eventually. Because you may look, and you may not like my sermon this morning, that's your privilege. Uh, you may not like what I have to say, that's your privilege also. All I would do is ask you to consider exactly what God says. Because we're going to be looking at the whole subject of homosexuality, and obviously you need to deal with that if you're going to deal with, deal with marriage and family. A few weeks from now, we're going to deal from a very positive uh, uh, per, uh, uh, point of view, uh, dealing with courageous. We're going to talk about courageous dads and fathers. We're going to talk about courageous moms and wives. We're going to talk about courageous children. And we're also going to talk about courageous families, families who have decided to work together to make an impact in the world around them and to live a life that's pleasing to God. But today we're going to take it in a different direction. It uh, is very clear to me that sin is sin. Doesn't matter what kind of sin it is, it has uh, a reputation with God that it is unrighteous, it is wicked, it is evil, it is wrong. Sin is sin. doesn't matter what it is. It could be cheating or lying. It could be immorality of any sort. It could be homosexuality. doesn't matter. It could be violence. Whatever it is, it's sin. God says it that way, and that's what he means. And so all sin is simply sin. We will also make it known that sin loves company. 
We'll talk about that as we go through. Because anyone living in sin always likes others to go along with them because it dulls their conscience, makes them feel like maybe they're not quite so sinful. There are sins that have various consequences. If you lie, you may lose a friendship. It could be a lot worse than that. If you kill somebody, somebody is deprived of a loved one. In homosexuality, there are things that happen that are unnatural and not normal. The consequences are there. The consequences of each individual sin are very different. But nonetheless, they are devastating. I'd like to start this morning by pointing out four things that are happening in our society and why I believe it's important that we look at this subject. Just this past week, I happened to catch just a blurb on the news about a 15-year-old Wisconsin boy who was asked by his uh, staff advisor from his school newspaper to write an article of opposing gays being able to adopt children. Another young lady, he was 15, another young lady about that same age, wrote an article in the same paper, well, on side of each other, why gays should be allowed to adopt uh, children. And she said, basically, there are a lot of kids in foster care, and they need a home. And that was her main argument. The young man who wrote the opposing argument uh, said that um, he was a Christian and that the Bible said homosexuality was sin and that why would you place children in a situation where there was overtly sin going on. And uh, as a result of that, the superintendent saw the paper, and by the way, it was all approved by his faculty advisor. Uh, when the superintendent uh, saw the op-ed page, he immediately... Um, put out a, a memo saying that this was a form of bullying and disrespectful, and then he spent several hours telling the kid that he was ignorant, that he was going to be suspended if he didn't retract what he said, and he was going to be censored. I'll tell you what, nobody said anything about the other side. The point is, if you stand for a biblical point of view, you will get fired at. In Pennsylvania, we have a Marriage Protection Act. It simply states that marriage is only between one man and one woman. The problem is, in Philadelphia, right now, as we speak, there is a court case against that um, act in Pennsylvania. One single judge in Philadelphia could rule our law in Pennsylvania unconstitutional because a couple that got married in Canada says that uh, they believe that it's wrong and um, that the, the law is unconstitutional and they want to be recognized as a married couple. The problem is, uh, as I said, one judge could overturn that. It's happened in other states. But I encourage you, as you interact with your elected representatives, that you let them know that we need a constitutional amendment in Pennsylvania to protect marriage. Because that would make it impossible for a single judge to be able to overturn our rule and pronounce it unconstitutional. A few, for the last few years, uh, the Senate, Bill 707, uh, has been introduced, but it's never gotten very far. It hasn't been reintroduced this session. But now, the House of Re Pennsylvania House of Representatives ha also has a bill 
It's uh, Bill uh, 1434, and it is not out of committee yet. Um, and um, until there is a groundswell of encouragement, that's probably not going to happen. But here's what you need to know. This is not a simple process. Both the Senate and the House of Pennsylvania have to vote on this and pass it two sessions in a row, that's two years in a row, before it can ever be brought to the voters. I encourage you to contact your senator, your representative, and let them know that you believe what the Bible says. And that you want it to be the law of the land. You say, is it important? I'll tell you, marriage and its view, uh, the view of marriage and how we see the marriage affects every area of our society. There's no way to get around that. And then the next one. 2008, a group called Just the Facts about so, uh, sexual orientation in youth put out a primer for principals, and I'm, I'm quoting here, principals, educators, and school personnel. And here's what it is, and it was endorsed by the teachers' unions and the psychiatrists and psychologists and uh, the counselors' associations for schools. There's a whole list of them. Pretty much everybody that's anybody said, yes, we agree with this. This is what it said. In our public schools across the nation, it says this, that our students should have a safe and supportive environment for studying. Well, I agree with that. I have no problem with that. But to them, that's, this is what that means. Is that there is to be no counseling, no encouragement for anyone to change their sexual orientation. Because it could be harmful to that person. They take a view that is totally unbiblical. It has nothing to do with the Bible because they, and the, the booklet itself, the primer itself, says this, that it is those of the conservative Christians, evangelical Christians, that are doing this because they believe that people can change. They call it conversion therapy or reparative therapy. Uh, and they say, you know, any attempt to change someone from being homosexual to heterosexual is a harmful thing. And basically, it is an attack on Christianity and the Bible. And they want nothing to do with it. And so, what I'm going to tell you this morning flies 180 degrees in the face of what is being instructed and taught in our public schools and acted upon in our public schools. One last thing. You heard this in the last few months. Uh, one of the Republican candidates for uh, um, one of the Republican candidates for the president, uh, Michelle Bachman's husband, happens to be a counselor, and it became a big uh, controversy when they found out that he indeed believes that people can change. That if you're a homosexual, you can actually change your view. Unfortunately, the society around us doesn't believe that God is a powerful God. They do not believe that God has created us very specifically with roles and positions to carry out. They do not believe that God has given us absolute rules to live by. They're wrong. Respectfully wrong. Remember... All sin can be forgiven. God deals with it very 
or directly. In fact, is the insinuation is if you say anything against homosexuality, you're a gay basher. Well, guess what? I'm going to tell you something that may be a newsflash. If I say anything negative about a murderer, people that murder, I'm a murderer basher. If I say lying is wrong, I'm a liar basher. If I say adultery is wrong, I'm an adulterer basher. You want to go down the rest of the list? Nah, we don't want to do that. Because you know what I'm saying. Is any time you take a stand against something that God says is wrong, you will and can be seen as somebody that's hateful. I'm going to tell you, I am not hateful. I absolutely believe that God loves every single person. I also tell you that whether it's lying or cheating or stealing or murder or hating or any of the other sins in the Bible, they all come from a single source. Because all of us were born sinners and we have a sin nature. That's where it all comes from. Homosexuality is just simply one of those. I could put a whole sermon on lying or any of the rest of them this morning. It's just on this subject. And so this morning, I would like to look at what the Bible says. And you're in Romans chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, I encourage you to find one under a pew chair and follow along. Because as we get to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, it's going to say, And such were some of you. Homosexuality is included in that because it is not something genetic. It is not something you cannot change. Uh, this family up here, if you wanted to make the morphers, you'd have to change the color of their skin because none of us are that dark. We get suntan, but we don't get that suntan. You know what? That can't be changed. But being a liar or a murderer or an adulterer or immoral of any sort or being somebody that's always fighting with people, I can change that. It's not like the color of the skin or your gender or one of those types of things. The Bible indeed does consider homosexuality as something that is dishonorable. If you would follow with me, please, as we look at Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Because we're going to start very positive, because I'm ending this sermon very positively only. Also, it says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Notice what it says. The Apostle Paul, under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, said, there is something that is good news and he's not ashamed of it. It's the gospel. The gospel is simply this. It states that we are sinners and that sin comes out in very many different ways. Anything you can think of sin, that's where it comes from. We're sinners. The gospel also says that Jesus Christ died on the cross and paid the full penalty of sin. That anyone who trusts him can have that sin forgiven. And indeed the gospel is the power of God to deliver that person from whatever that sin is, and ultimately deliver them from the sin of not trusting Jesus Christ. The gospel is indeed, and it means, the good news. The good news is that anything that God says is sinful can be changed. Anyone that's living that way can be changed, but it's only by the power of the gospel. And notice, it is only to those who believe. It's an act of faith. You cannot do it on your own. The secular world says, well, people can't change. They're right. On their own, they cannot change. It's the power.
power of God. It's the good news of the gospel. It goes on to say, for in it, that is in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written. But the righteous man shall live by faith. Notice, the righteousness of God that is found in the gospel is from faith to faith. That means... You live in a world that's dark. You live in a world that sin is all around. You might be sitting here and living in sin. But here's what I'm saying. My job is, because I believe what God says, is to tell you what God says. To be a messenger. That is our responsibility. And I don't care if it's marriage and homosexuality. I don't care if it's abortion. I don't care if it's creation. I don't care what it is. We have a responsibility if we have trusted God, we have trusted the gospel, our lives have been changed, we have been delivered, we have a responsibility to tell others. And what does it say? But the righteous man, the one who has for once and all for once for all time been made righteous, shall continue on to live by faith. That's exactly what it says. And then he goes on to say, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. He makes it very clear that it's not simply someone living in sin. But in Romans he says, And those people suppress the truth. See, no one can look at the scripture, and they try to do this, and say, God doesn't say thou shalt not, or doesn't say homosexuality is wrong, or lying is wrong. And when it comes to uh, sexuality, all you have to do is look at science, and you find that it just doesn't work. It's not natural. It's not the way God made us. The only way you can continue that direction is you have to suppress the truth. And he goes on to say, since the creation of this world, his invisible attributes, these are God's invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, that is, his creation, so that they are without excuse. All you need to do is know how God has made men and women, and you know that homosexuality is not God's plan. It doesn't work. And tongue-in-cheek, it doesn't fit. It just won't work. It's just the way it is. God makes it clear. God also considers homosexuality to be... I'm I'm sorry, I I skipped ahead of myself. But God says that... um, He said he gave them over to the lusts of their hearts to impurity, and this is verse 24, that their bodies might be dishonored among them. Why? Because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. That's what the Bible says. But God also wrote in the Bible that homosexuality is unnatural. In verse 26, it goes on to say this, For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions, for the women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. Again, the the terminology degrading passions also has to do with dishonor also. But it goes on to say, something unnatural is happening. What is the normal has been exchanged for something besides the normal. 
There are those, and there, and uh, as I mentioned last week, there are churches that say this is no problem. In fact, is they promote it and saying this is just the way God made people. And there's no problem. You shouldn't try to change. And their whole church is based around that. If you don't believe me, look it up. You'll find it. Um, but uh, that's the way it is. And they take a verse like this and say, See, if somebody was born a, a homosexual and you try to change them into a heterosexual, that is not natural for that person. Now, if this was the only verse I had from the Bible, uh, you could probably say that. But we know what the next verses say, and that will absolutely not allow that interpretation. Because it says that these are things that are unnatural. They're degrading passions. It doesn't say the passion's not there. It says they're degrading. It takes the person down. They have exchanged what God has designed for something which he has not designed. The Bible also considers homosexuality as depraved. If you continue with me in verse 27, we'll look at the other gender. And notice how it starts. In the same way. So it's saying about the women changing the natural for the unnatural. It's saying in the same way. Also, the men abandoned the natural function. And now notice what's next. Of the women. And burned in their desire toward one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. Notice what it says. It's not that you can say, well, maybe that man was born gay, so uh, to change him would be unnatural. But it makes it very, very clear and links it with in the same way. And you have to look at it and say, both of them have the same impact. And that is, they've abandoned the normal function in marriage of a husband and a wife. And they did what, according to the Word of God says, indecent acts. And notice what is the result. Remember I said there are consequences to all sin? It says that these persons have the due penalty of their error. It was pretty popular not too terribly long ago for people to say, well, AIDS is a judgment on those on homosexuality. Um, I've never said that. I would agree with that partially. You see, because any kind of immorality has consequences. There are spiritual consequences, emotional consequences, mental consequences, and physical consequences of all kinds of sin and all kinds of immorality. In the United States, AIDS tends to be simply something that deals with homosexual people. But in Africa, it's heterosexual because they are simply being immoral uh, heterosexually. There is a penalty that goes with sin, a natural penalty. It's not somebody putting you in jail or in handcuffs or any of those kinds of things or fining you or anything like that. There are natural consequences that go with all sin. And we need to be aware of that. The Bible is quite clear. But again, it's not talking about somebody supposedly changing from what was wrong uh, originally, and that's their natural, to something that is not natural for them. It's saying God created men and women, and he put a man and a woman together. That's the way he created us. That's the way he designed us. And anything other than that is simply depraved. It goes on to say in verse 28, Just as they did not see fit, to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind. You 
could ask, do people who promote these kinds of things, do they really believe what they're saying? The answer is some of them actually do. Because they have been so self-deceived that they now believe what they're saying is true. Their mind becomes, as the Word of God says, depraved. They no longer can think in a normal way. They, they just don't think right anymore. Uh, they, their mind doesn't, isn't sound. It doesn't stand the test. That's all depraved means. They simply believe their own lies. But the Bible also says that homosexuality is not proper. If you would follow with me at the end of verse 28, it simply says this, to do those things which are not proper. The word simply means it's not fitting. It's something that shouldn't be allowed. We know in the Old Testament that those that committed homosexuality and a lot of other things under the law, there was a death penalty attached to that. God says, even in the New Testament, these things are not fitting. They're not proper. And why is it? Because they have chosen not to acknowledge God. And if you look at the tolerance of sin, whatever it happens to be today, it is simply because God has been taken out of the equation. God's design, God's purpose has been taken out. And you have to fill it in with something else. And it is the religion of the day. In case you didn't know it, we do have a national religion. It's a world religion. It's secular humanism. What man says goes. I am the ultimate authority. Whatever I think, that's good. And by the way, it's a much better than that. And if you say, the gospel, God, Jesus Christ, you're now wrong because you have narrowed it down. See, secular humanism says, whatever I think is okay. Whatever you think is okay. God says, no, there's only one way, and that's Jesus Christ. But it doesn't end there, because when it says that it's not proper, it says that in verse 32, and I'm skipping a bunch of verses because there's a whole lot of other sins that are there. It talks about unrighteousness and wickedness and gossip and deceit and strife and uh, arrogance and uh, disobedient to parents and unloving, which is basically being worse than an animal, treating other people worse than an animal, unmerciful, all kinds of other things. And then it ends this passage with this verse, and you have it before you on the screen. It says, And although they knew the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. Remember I started this by saying sin loves company, and if somebody else is doing it with us, it makes it kind of dulls our conscience. I remember this has nothing to do with sin necessarily, but I can remember as a young teenager, you get a bunch of us boys together, a bunch of farm kids together, uh, cousins in particular, and you have got a problem going on because you will dare each other to do stuff you would never do on your own. And I can remember one time it scared the daylights out of me. I was maybe 11, 12 years old. We were challenging each other to do really goofy things in the barn up in the hay now. And one of them was to climb up the side of the haystack to the peak of the roof. My brothers and I could do it. Our nerves were a little bit better. But my cousin, who was a little bit more skitzy than us, he got halfway up the stack and froze. Now, you got to remember, he's about as high as this ceiling is from the floor. 
I'm thinking, I'm going to have to go tell my dad, and then he's going to want to know why he was doing that, and everybody's going to say, well, that was Paul. And it would have been me, because I was the one, I was the leader somehow or the other. Well, you know what? But that's what people do. They not only simply do something that's sinful, but they encourage others to do it also. That is not politically correct to say that about homosexuality. But the truth of the matter is, anybody that mitigates what God calls sin is encouraging others to participate in that sin. Anyone who writes a booklet and says to the teachers and the counselors in school and the principals in school, hey, you can't say anything negative about this, is propagating that. It's not simply they're doing it, and that might be one thing. Okay, that person's doing something wrong, well, that's them, who cares? But... What this says is they give hearty approval to those who practice them. Sin loves company. It always has, always will. But I'm going to go on and get to the good part. One more bad one yet. Because when you go to 1 Timothy chapter 1, and I'm, you can turn there if you want, but I'm going to be there and write back out. But 1 Timothy chapter 1, beginning of verse 8, it tells us that homosexuality is one of those things that is against the law. This is how it says it. But we know that the law, referring to the Old Testament law, is good if one uses it lawfully, realizing the fact that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for those who are lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who kill their mothers or fathers, for murderers and immoral men and homosexuals and kidnappers and liars and perjurers, and every other thing that is contrary to sound teaching according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God from which I, with which I have been entrusted. He says, those things that the law said were wrong are there. We don't live under the law, folks. We live under grace. But if we're not willing to live according to God's rule, he says, go back to the law. It was not to make you righteous. It never could do that. Only the gospel can do that. Only trust in Christ can do that. But the law showed us what was unrighteous and lawless. What was ungodly and all the other things that it says here. So it's simply this. Even the law. For those who will not understand and trust Christ. The law says it was wrong. The law said it was wrong. But here's where I really want to go. Because God is absolutely generous, and I'm now asking you if you would please to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. We're going to look at starting at verse 9. But God, as with all sin, says there is forgiveness. Your life can be changed. He has made the provision. Remember, it took the agony and death and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ to pay for sin. Homosexuality simply being one of those. Here's what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers shall inherit the kingdom of God. And here's the title of the sermon. And such were some of you. 
If you know anything about the Corinthian church, they were the bad boys of all the churches. They were a seaport city, and every kind of vice and sin known to man was propagated there. And when the Apostle Paul wrote to that congregation, he says, I know where you guys came from. You came from all of these kinds of backgrounds. You did every wicked, sinful, unrighteous, unlawful thing there ever was. But that wasn't the end of it. Such were some of you. You used to be that way. So the Apostle Paul is clearly indicating there can be change. And what did actually happen? It says, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. The, the whole concept of wash is middle tense. You had to make a choice. You made a choice that you knew your life was dirtied up by sin and you needed a spiritual bath. That is something that they had to choose. That's the gospel. That's believing. That's faith. Faith in Jesus Christ because he forgave our sins. But the second two are something that has to be done to us that we could never do for ourselves. Because he says, and you were washed. You washed yourselves. And you were sanctified. God sets you apart. The word sanctified simply means to set apart from where you were to where you are now. The word holy also comes from that. You were set apart from your former sin, your former manner of life, your former mindset. You were totally changed. Set apart from that to God. And then he also says, and you were justified. Justified doesn't mean like you'd never sinned. In fact, this justified means exactly the opposite of that. It simply means this. That though you were a sinner, and you absolutely were a sinner, you trusted Jesus Christ, and he added to you and declared to you to be completely right with God. That's justification. Legally declared to be right with God. You don't legally declare somebody right to be right with God if they weren't a lawbreaker. But that's what Jesus Christ has done for us. That is what he has made available. So, will you get blasted? Will you get uh, belittled because you take a stand for what God says is uh, against what God says is sin? The answer is yeah. It's not politically correct. The whole society, the, the, the whole culture is against us. The fact is they did a survey and the vast majority of college students believe homosexuality is okay. It shouldn't surprise you. They've been taught that for 12 years in school and they've been taught that in college. Shouldn't surprise you that that happens. But the point is, God says, you don't have to stay there. We have good news. It's not only good news that you can have your sins forgiven and go to heaven, but the good news is you can be delivered from those things that are sinful, that God says have horrible consequences, that are against His Word and His plan and His way He's designed us. We can be delivered from those things. It's not by any counseling. It's not by any power of your own or any human endeavor. It is by and only by the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ which has totally paid the price of that sin. That's the message that we have for the world. No matter what the sin is, you can be forgiven. But that message is for us too. 
any sin that you're living in, God wants to forgive you. He wants to forgive you first by you trusting Jesus Christ your Savior, and then he'll deal with all the rest of them. All the rest of them. Did you notice we went through about three lists of sin here? And they're horrible things. I mean, you could spend a whole year just talking about those, those three passages. We're not going to do that. But I want to encourage you. We have the good news for the world around us. They can be free, set apart from those things that are harmful, have bad consequences, that fly in the face and make fun of what God has determined, and be over here, a holy, sanctified life, live for Him. That's the good news. Not only for salvation, but for living. Let's all stand together as we close in prayer. Father, your word is very blunt, very to the point. Because sin is so so horrible, you make it so clear to us. But Father, we thank you that it is so blunt that the only solution is the Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel, the good news. And Lord, I pray this morning that if someone here has never trusted Christ, that they wouldn't leave without talking to myself or someone else here and know for sure that Christ is their Savior. Heaven is their home and they have a life that is set apart to live for God, to carry out His design and purpose for them in this life. Lord, help us too to be shining lights, lights in the darkness for those who see no hope. And I thank you for it all through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. God bless. Go 